Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacevic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome Wesley Cash to the podcast. Welcome, Wesley. Hey, nice to be here, James. So, Wesley, you are the Director of Technical Services at Noria. You also have a bunch of ICML certifications. Although very, very brief, what can you tell us about yourself and Noria? Sure. So, um, you know, I've been at Noria for uh, going on nine years now. Um, I, I hold a lot of the ICML certifications, yes. I also have the, the CLS or Certified Lubrication Specialist uh, from the STLE. Uh, I've kind of worked my way up from uh, entry level into the technical services group at, at Noria doing all of our field services. And I've had uh, had the opportunity to, to become the director and uh, manage and lead the, the team of consultants and trainers in, in our, our field services group. All right. Excellent. And I'm guessing you've been involved in lubrication, maintenance, reliability, all those great things for quite a while then, correct? Yeah. Um, professionally, I, I've been in, in this kind of industry for uh, 16 years now. Uh, of course, uh, the last nine with Noria before that, seven years as a compressor uh, service tech in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, took care of some some commercial and industrial uh, compressor trains. And uh, going back to my childhood, I grew up on a family farm in uh, southwest Kansas. Um, so there was always farm equipment. My dad owned a uh, construction company, so I've been around construction equipment and construction processes. So, I mean, I've been around equipment, had tools in my hands pretty much as long as I can remember. All right, excellent. So, you know, I'm guessing throughout the course of all of those, you know, lubrication was a very important aspect to those programs, to fixing things, to keeping them running. And that's probably why you maybe went this direction. But with that being said, why is lubrication so important in any sort of maintenance and reliability program? Oh, absolutely. You know, lubrication, it, it is very much a fundamental aspect of your reliability program. Um, one, you know, it's it's among the, the leading root causes of equipment failures industry-wide. And uh, without proper lubrication, you're just pure and simple going to have far more failures and even more misses with your other predictive technologies. So uh, it, it proper lubrication helps enhance the the signal to noise ratio, you get to tell exactly what's going on much quicker. And, you know, as I tell most of the, the customers that I, that I work with and through the classes that I teach, you know, to, to have world-class reliability, you have to have world-class lubrication. And to have world-class lubrication, you have to have world-class people to, to achieve that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, lubrication is one of those, I think, underrated areas in a lot of organizations, it, how, at least how they look at it. Um, like you said, a lot, lot of failures can be traced back to lubrication. And, you know, it's one of those things I think we really got to get right. Now, do you know how many failures or what percentage of failures can be attributed back to lubrication-related issues? 
you know, there's there are a lot of studies out there on this topic. And, you know, some some prominent bearing manufacturers have said, you know, that they can say 90 percent of all bearing failures are related to lubrication issues. And of course, lubrication issues could be too much, too little contaminated lubricants, of course. Um, hydraulic failures could be upwards of 80%, 70 to 80% lubrication related issues. And, you know, just conservatively working um, in the in the field with a lot of our customers, you know, lubrication usually account for about half, if not a little bit of over half of all equipment failures. Um, you know, there are going to be some, some caveats based upon the industry, but but I have seen this hold mostly true. And of, of course, the uh, the more contaminated or especially the, the ones where we may not have the amount of manpower that we need, lubrication usually falls off, in which case a lot of lubrication-related failures occur. All right. So a tremendous amount of failures are traced back to improper lubrication, one fit form or another, right? Either over, under, introducing contamination, wrong lube, all those great things. Now, how many, how many people do you see out there using grease guns properly? You know, greasing is a basic lubrication activity we do, but how many people are used doing it right? That's a really good question. You're, you're right. It is... It is foundational. It is pretty, you know, elementary when we talk about grease guns. But, you know, I'd say less than 25% of the people using grease guns use them properly. And in the, a lot of this comes back to, you know, they've never been trained or even thought how to how to use one or even ask, you know, how to use one properly. But to be fair, the, the use of the grease gun, I mean, the, the tool itself is is very simple you know the, the grease gun you, you work the lever you squeeze it you pull the trigger and grease comes out so while they may use the grease gun the tool itself correctly they don't perform the task correctly so you've got the tool being the grease gun but then you've got the task of accurately and and successfully adding grease and that's usually performed in in less than an ideal manner out there all right so you know, most people weren't trained on it. I remember when I was trained, um, I was trained by my dad how to use a grease gun. And do you know how I was trained? You want to take a guess? I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be very similar to, to mine where you, you hook the grease gun up and you work the lever until you see grease coming out somewhere. Is that right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah, I, so, I know. It's Mine was in the, in a uh, cornfield in southwest Kansas. You know, that was my lesson on the, the rear end of a tractor. So, And that's that's what we see with, you know, most mechanics, most maintenance people, is they have that, that same sort of background in it. Yeah, mine wasn't a tractor. Mine was a semi-truck. Uh, oh, but okay. same thing. Just see it for the ball joints and stuff like that. So exact same sort of thing. Now, knowing now that that's not the right way to grease bearings with a grease gun, what are the most common issues you see with lubrication with a grease gun? Okay, so, you know, really when it comes down to, to common issues, uh, I boil them into, into two main things. The, the first one is just what we talked about, too much grease. Um, most people think that, you know, if a little bit is good, then a lot has to be that much better. And unfortunately, you know, that leads to a whole host of other issues where you, you damage seals and you can push grease into places where it doesn't need to go. And then the other side of it is applying the grease too quickly. So you've got too much grease and then it's too fast because you want to grease things slowly and allow that grease to, to distribute. Because one of the, the big things that you want to do when greasing is 
try to move some of the old degraded grease out of the way. And if, if you simply slam the grease to it as fast as you can, that grease is going to find the path of least resistance. And it's just going to carve a channel into to wherever it needs to go. And you're not going to displace that old grease nearly as well. So too much grease and applying it too fast. Those are the two biggest issues that I see with people using grease guns. All right. So too much, too fast. Definitely explains a lot of what, we're, what I see as well from a lubrication standpoint. Now, can you describe to us what is the proper technique to lubricating with a grease gun? What, are, oh. what do we got to do to get this right? Absolutely. So really when it, when it comes to greasing, you need to, to do some work on the front end. You need to, to ensure some, some things can happen. Um, the first thing is you try to grease things when the equipment is running. And I know that we're not always able to do that. I know that in some cases there are safety concerns around uh, rotating equipment. But if we can grease a bearing or whatever it may be while it's operating, while there's some rotational energy there, that is a great place to start. So let's say that, that we're going out to, to grease a motor and that this motor is running. One of the first things that we need to do, um, most motors will have a purge fitting or a purge plug on the bottom side of it. If it is a capped fitting, we need to, to pull that out because what we're trying to do is give us a relief port or a relief pathway for this old grease to, to be pushed out. And this helps minimize some of the, the pressure associated with greasing as well. Now, before we attach the grease gun, a couple things. One, we need to clean the grease fitting, the grease zerk, whatever you want to call it. You need to clean that off. Um, wipe it with a, a lint-free towel. You know, if it's got a plastic fitting on it, remove that plastic fitting. And then before you attach the grease gun, purge some grease from that grease gun just a, just a little bit and clean that off because inevitably this grease gun's been sitting in a cart. Maybe it's in a toolbox. Dirt has stuck to the, uh, to the end of that grease gun. So once we've purged that and cleaned it off, now we can attach it to the grease fitting and we're going to slowly apply the grease. Um, the rule of thumb, three to five seconds per shot of grease. So we're slowly adding it. When we disconnect the grease gun, either leave a small dollop of grease, and I'm not talking a lot of grease, but enough to cover uh, the, the fitting. And you just have to cover that little uh, check ball on it uh, to make sure that it's sealed from the contaminants. If you do have the, the plastic caps, put the caps back on it and you're good to go. Now, allow that thing to run 10 or 20 minutes, and then you go back in there and you can put in that, uh, that relief port if they had one. Um, not everything has the relief ports, but if it does, leave it out for about 10 minutes, put it in. That'll allow any of that excess pressure to, uh, to purge out. All right, excellent. So there was a lot there. There's some pre-work we got to do on the connection point. You know, like you said, wipe it off. That's right. And I'm, and I'm assuming we're doing that so we're not pushing contaminants through that check ball into the bearing or rotating assembly that we're lubricating, correct? Bingo. You know, when it comes to the uh, the fittings and, and cleaning them off with anything grease lubricated, um, it, it's it's very common to have a maintenance-induced failure because of contamination. When you are in an oil-lubricated component, you can, you can have the chance to, to get in there and maybe use a filter cart and filter out some of these solid contaminants. With grease, it's just not that way because these contaminants are going to get in there, they'll find their way into the bearing, and you know they, they stay put very well with grease since it's not as aqueous. It's not going to be able to distribute and push those contaminants out nearly as well. So... It is very, very important to clean some of that stuff. 
All right, excellent. And then, you know, we push some grease out of the grease gun. Once again, I'm guessing that's to push any potential contaminants that's in the end of the grease gun out. And then I liked how you mentioned how slowly we actually apply the grease. Um, now, how many people do you think actually do all of that? What percentage? That, like I said, very small. I'm, I'm going to say in, in all the plants that I've gone to, I'm, I'm going to say it's less than 25% of the people out there doing this work that actually do it that way. And there are some people that do it phenomenally. You know, uh, I'm a big proponent of using ultrasonic equipment when regreasing things. And I've been out there in, in plants where they do all of their high speed equipment and critical equipment using an ultrasonic gun. And they do a phenomenal job of falling through these steps and then have the added benefit of having, you know, some feedback of what's going on uh, inside that bearing as they're applying grease. This podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. Be sure to check out Iridicio's IBL blended learning for maintenance and reliability professionals. This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what watchouts do you have for people that are performing this greasing? You mentioned how we properly use a grease gun, but what else do you got to be aware of? Sure. So um, one of the big things, like we said, you're around rotating equipment. So first and foremost, safety around, you know, pinch points, getting, getting caught up in things. You got to be careful around the equipment. Now, when you're actually pushing in grease, when you're, you've done everything correctly and now we're applying the grease, we need to be looking out for back pressure. And back pressure is where there is a cavity that may be completely full of grease. Maybe something's plugged with uh, old dried up grease and you, you start to, to get some pressure on the grease lever, the grease gun itself. And if you just try to force that grease uh, through there, if you're not listening or, or feeling that back pressure, um, now you're going to be pushing greases in places where it doesn't need to go. So be on the lookout for any sort of back pressure um, as you're greasing. You know, be, be looking around this piece of equipment and see if you see grease actually purging out somewhere. If you do see grease purging out somewhere, um, especially if it's around a shaft steel, uh, you know, stop. I mean, that is it's absolutely full. Just continuing to grease is going to make a, a big mess and could lead to, to further damaging of of the seals. And, and something for electric motors, and this is usually more common on, on smaller motors, but it does exist out there, is you need to know the bearing type that is inside that, um, inside that motor, inside that piece of equipment. And this is really important as it relates to sealed bearings because a bearing may be completely sealed up, in which case adding grease isn't going to do anything. It's not going to find its way into the bearing, but there's still grease fittings on the piece of equipment. So adding grease, now you're just basically insulating that bearing. So it's going to be running hotter and the grease that is within those seals are going to break down. It'll break down even quicker. So be, be aware of the bearing type. Make sure you know what's in the equipment before you go to add grease. All right. Excellent. Some great watch outs there. Now, do you ever encounter times where maybe the wrong grease is in those guns and we start mixing grease as we're applying it? That is absolutely true. Um, 
and you know you've seen this uh so many different times where you see someone has a, a grease gun and there's a a red grease coming out of the end of this grease gun and whatever they're applying the uh the grease to there's white grease you know purging out of the bearing so you know it's mixed in there somewhere so people that that don't label their grease guns or or one of my personal favorites um having a clear bodied grease gun to where you can read the grease tube that's inside of it but you know Mixing of greases, incompatibility of greases is a very common problem and one that can lead to a lot of heartache inside that machine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of those things, you know, might be a good ad is, you know, before we apply that grease, as they purge out the grease gun, verify that that looks correct um, before they apply it, right? Absolutely. Very simple visual check. Yeah, especially if you have multiple colors of grease, um, it's a very easy way to, to make sure you've got the right right lubricant there. Absolutely. Now, why is training typically ignored in lubrication or lubrication related activities? Why do why do we not train our technicians? Why do we not think about how important this is? Well, uh, James, you know, I think it harkens back to to what we talked about with like your uh, you know, upbringing around grease guns. You know, we take it for granted. We th- we think that it is you know, either too elementary or, or too fundamental, so we don't have to uh, to take lubrication seriously. And all too often, it is overlooked. Um, either sometimes people think that, well, the the lube tech will just hire an entry level person because all they're going to be doing is going around there and throwing grease and oil and things. Or I've seen the other side where some folks say, well, this is a retirement job. Maybe this person only has a couple years left before they retire, so we'll give them this job because it's an easy job. But, but lubrication, this is a, a skilled trade. Um, you know, it'd be the same as, as hiring a welder that has no experience and expecting them to perform immediately. Um, when it comes to lubrication technicians, these people, they hold the reliability of the, the plant at their fingertips. They, they should be up to speed on current best practices, the importance of why they should do things a specific way. And I, I just feel that the, the, Typical mindset in maintenance and reliability is, yes, lubrication, everyone understands the needs for lubrication, but no one has stopped to think, well, what is the proper way to do this? It is very often overlooked. Yeah, I have to agree. It's just, I think it's overlooked and it's unfortunate. Now, for those that are looking to improve their lubrication program, what words of wisdom or tips do you have for them that they could start looking at doing almost immediately? Sure. You know, um, you know, some words of wisdom, uh, something to, to start looking at. Um, be aware that changes aren't going to happen in your lubrication program overnight. And in, in some cases, you know, results aren't going to be immediate. Um, you need to know this is this is definitely a long game. It requires diligence and everyone on the same page. And just one person doing something incorrectly undoes the entire process of, of lubrication. So alignment of the team is, is so key. It needs to become part of your culture, really. I walk into plants and say, it, you know, several plants will have banners up, say, you know, we have a safety culture or we have a production culture or a maintenance culture. Well, we need to have a lubrication culture. In these plants as well it needs to be a steady cadence or drumbeat every day of how we're going to do things and you know a, a simple thing that, that you can think of is as you move lubricants try to keep them from being exposed to the atmosphere as most uh, as best as you possibly can um, something that my dad drove into me at a young age is that you donate blood as often as you can because that is a, a vital thing for our, our health infrastructure well if we think that the lubricant 
is the lifeblood of the machine. And you think about that with donating blood. From the time that the, the needle goes into your arm to the time that that blood uh, goes into the next person, that blood never sees the atmosphere. It's in the tube. It's sealed off in the bag. Well, think about that with your lubricants. From the time that they show up to your plant, there are so many places where they could be exposed to the atmosphere. So we need to try to keep them as sealed up as possible, try to keep them as clean as possible. And the rule of thumb is every time you transfer the lubricant, try to run it through a filter. You don't want to just leave it up to, to being filtered one time. You want to do this every time it's transferred. All right. Excellent. I like that. We're filtering it. We're trying to minimize exposure to atmosphere. All great things we got to do. Now, what's the one thing you see done incorrectly on a regular basis? What is that one thing that we got to really think about? Sure. And, and one thing is trying to solve bad habits or bad practices by simply spending money. Um, either, you know, saying, all right, we, we've got lubrication related issues, so we're just going to buy the most expensive lubricants we can. We'll buy synthetics for everything or, or buying an accessory that will only impact uh, a single step in the chain of lubrication. So uh, we know we have contamination, so we're just going to buy a filter cart and we'll filter the oil before it goes into service. Well, just by putting simple things like that into practice, that doesn't always equate to uh, getting a payback. So sometimes you see someone had a, had a great idea to put breathers on equipment, but the oil you're adding has been sitting outside and getting rained on and there's water in the, the lubricant. So you have to look at this very incrementally. You know, incremental change is so important, but you have to start at the correct place. So try to take a step back when you, when you look at your lubrication program and look at the lubricant life cycle. Um, you know, it starts with selection. Do we have the proper lubricant first and foremost? And then reception and storage, you know, as we receive it and we store it, is it, is it in a good, clean manner? As we handle it and apply it to the machine, is it getting cleaner? Is it getting dirtier? When it's in the machine, how well is that machine set up for contamination control? Is it keeping the contaminants out? Can we inspect the, the lubricant easily without opening the machine up to the environment? Um, if this machine is on lubricant analysis, how do we take the samples? How do we make sure that the oil is in, or the grease is still good? And then finally, you know, how's it disposed of? So look at the uh, the life cycle, and and usually. Working with a lot of companies, um, focusing on storage and handling on that aspect of lubrication is a great place to start. You know, I say the lube room is really the heartbeat of your lubrication program. And if you're not storing it and handling it correctly in this lube room, then it's just going to bleed out from there. So a healthy heart is one of those key fundamental things to a healthy lubrication program. All right. Excellent. You know, how we handle that lubrication, how we store, all those are very, very important things. Like you said, we put desk and breathers on this equipment, but yet it's been sit, the lubricant's been sitting in a drum outside exposed to the rain and sun for the last six months. So Wesley, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about proper lubrication with grease guns. But before you go, where, what is the one thing you want our listeners to take away from the conversation today? You know, uh, one thing to, to take away, you know, start small, but make changes that are sustainable. Um, it, it's not going to happen overnight. And, and, you know, try to develop a, a roadmap, you know, and, and Noria, this is one of the big things that we do is our services are designed to help people uh, plan out a roadmap of what they need to do. And, and, you know, as you look at your lubrication program, Figure out what is the most impactful, where the biggest return for investment is going to be, where our, our, our most low-hanging fruit are, you know, the gold bricks, if you will. This is where we'd want to start, and this is where we're going to start making a, a big impact. So that's one thing that I, I want people to, to take away from that is start small, 
but but change sustainably. Don't don't try to bite off more than you can chew all at once. I think that's critical. What you mentioned there is start small, start sustainably, you know, focus on what we can really embed and sustain because that's going to make a difference long term. That's going to pay dividends time and time again. That's right. Well, Wesley, I really appreciate you coming on to talk to us today about lubrication best practices. But before we go, where can people find out more about you, Noria, all the things Noria has going on? Where can they learn more? Absolutely. So, um, of course, Noria.com is a great place. That's where you can see all of our, our training events, learn about our, our whole host of different service offerings. Um, you can also follow us on, on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, we've got an Instagram page, so a lot of social media out there um, where we're constantly adding content um, to, to all of our, our media sites. So we've got machinerylubrication.com, which has a ton of lubrication related content, calculators, things like that, that, that you can get on there. If you're having lubrication related issues, uh, odds are there's some great, um, articles written by end users, by consultants, by industry experts that'll, that'll point you in the right direction for more, uh, reliability as a whole topics our our media site, reliableplant.com has a ton of useful information on it as well. All right. Excellent. And what is your go-to resource for more information on all these great things? Is it Reliable Plant? Is it Noria? What's the go-to resource for all these things? Sure. Um, of course, online, you know, quick at your fingertips, uh, machinerylubrication.com is a, is a great resource. Like I said, there are online calculators. There's plenty of, of resources around building lubrication programs, basically how to do this from scratch um, for reliability topics, for uh, condition monitoring, things of those natures, reliableplant.com. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm a little old school. I, I really love, uh, you know, books and, and having reference material at my, at my fingertips on my shelf here. Um, so the, the Noria bookstore is a great one and our practical handbook of, of machinery lubrication is one that hardly ever leaves my desk. It is just packed full of material there that is very useful for lubrication programs. Excellent. I will make sure to put links to all those in the show notes so people can get it. I actually have that same book sitting on my uh, desk right now. So it is a great resource that you mentioned. Well, Wesley, I want to thank you once again for taking the time today. I truly appreciate it. No, James, I, I definitely appreciate it. I, I love the podcast. I, I listen to it. So uh, anything that I can help with, I mean, feel free to, to reach out whenever. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Take care. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.